She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. Which is why it drives me crazy when I get emails from people and their signature is love and light. I want to be like, you don't even know about your shadow side. Come on. It's an important part of you and you're just, you're just ignoring it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have this super vivid memory of how incredibly grateful I was and amazed I was at Pence. Clothes! Oh my God! I was cold and now I'm not. I was reveling in that experience, and it's—if you really think about it—that's accessible even when you're not on ayahuasca. You know, isn't that amazing? You're cold and then you're not. But we kind of—we move <laughs> through that, you know. Whatever. I, mean, I have clothes. Yeah, everyone, you know. But it, it was really profound. <laughs> in the bathroom and you could hear everything. <laughs> <laughs> you were on, on a long it was time. Great. We were all laughing like we know what you're doing, buddy. You're doing good work. You know, like. <laughs> well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> great to have you here. It's great to have you here. And today we have episode three of our Exploring Ayahuasca series, in which we unpack and share with you a little bit about what's changed since we got back from our latest retreat about a month ago. Yeah, I think this is a big question when you do ayahuasca is, okay, well, what's the payoff? Yeah, (laughs) because it seems like a lot of work. Is there any payoff? The short answer is a lot has changed. and, And we are excited to unpack this. Also, as a companion to this episode, over at patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple, we're sharing not only a recording of the final night ceremony, five and a half hours, but also a recording of the second integration circle, which happened the morning after the second ceremony. We share more about this in the outro, so if you're curious, just uh, wait until then. In the meantime, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Ooh, good morning, Alistair. Good morning, Julie Roxanne. Hello, everyone, wherever you are. And hello. whatever time of day it is for you, hello. Hello, hello. Before we get into this episode, I'm feeling mildly irritated at Julie Roxanne at the moment. <laughs> and I'm trying to work through this emotion of irritation and, and some anger and frustration. And so I thought I'd share with you the mango story. Here's the mango story. What is the mango story? So one night, I think we were watching, I think we were were watching Tiger King. Yeah. Caught up on that. I I don't really think that was the best use of my time. Like, I don't, I wouldn't actually recommend anyone watch that. If you haven't seen it, you're, you're not going to learn anything. But if you want to be entertained, kind of like in a Coliseum manner, you know, where you go watch like (laughs) participants fight to the death. Then yeah, if you're that kind of person, it's go watch Tiger King. Up, but yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I enjoyed it for a while, and then yeah. things turned, and, yeah, yeah, things and then turned. I started questioning why I was deriving my entertainment from this, <laughs> and if that was morally apprehensible. And my conclusion is yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so that's Tiger King. But anyway, so you you served me a mango, and uh, yeah, and. <laughs> And so we have these beautiful mangoes here. They're yellow. Uh, They're kind of a smaller variety. There's actually two varieties of mangoes here. There's ones that are like pretty large and green. Like they're kind of like the size of a softball. And then they start to get kind of, they get tinges of red. And they're kind of fibrous on the inside. But then there are these smaller ones. And they're more like baseball size, although they are kind of more like an oval or like a one of those paisley teardrops. That's Mm -hmm. a good way to describe it. Yes. And they're they're yellow, and uh, they're sweet nectar. They're they're, they're great very desserts. Good. Yes, they're very good. So my wonderful wife served me one of these in bed while we were watching Tiger King. <laughs> and the way the trick for having these mangoes the least amount of work is that there's a large kind of 
pit in the middle. Yeah. It's kind of like a stake yeah. almost. And so you cut half on one side of it, and then you cut half on the other. And then with a knife, you kind of crisscross so that you get these little cubes. And then you can flip the skin, and it kind of pops it out, and then you can just eat it off the skin. Because you can't eat the skin of a mango. Mm-hmm. Not a good idea. So that's what you do with the two sides. But there's still a nice beefy section that's kind of attached to this pit because you, you're just shaving it off the sides. And so there's nice, juicy, some of the best bites in the mango <laughs> that, that are like on the outline of this, uh, of this mango seed. And uh, some of my favorite parts of the, of the mango. Mm-hmm. So Julie Roxanne served me uh, a mango. I had the two sides. Yeah. And then I looked around and was like, where's the middle piece? Actually, I think the way you asked me was like, is the middle piece still on the counter? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I, I asked it like that because I assumed, okay, well, she just didn't bring it in. Like, It's messy. It's messy. It is it, messy. The middle piece is messy because you have to like hold it by the middle of the mango. Yeah, and so yeah. that part is, is pretty messy. And uh, she's like, oh, I threw it away. And I was stunned. He looked at me like I just, I told him, hey, I murdered your puppy this morning or something. Like, I, my mom, I couldn't comprehend this. <laughs> you threw it away. What are you doing? This is my wife, my French, my, my French chef wife who doesn't waste any food. Yeah. That, that was the other part of this that blew me away. It's like, <laughs> what? What? I'm, I'm, um... I don't like eating things that are messy. In the previous weeks, when I cut mango for myself, I would usually like, meh, kind of discard that one just out of like laziness. So I did that uh, automatically, and uh, apparently that was not a good idea. So I went into the compost and I rinsed it off. And uh, the compost was like good, like there was almost nothing in there and only fruits. So it wasn't a problem, but I rinsed it off and brought it back and brought some peace back to the realm. But man, if you had seen the eyes Alistair gave me when I told him it was in the compost. Thoroughly outraged and disappointed. (laughs) That's how I felt about that whole situation. And I'm still a little... I'm a little ashamed. I'm a little ashamed. (laughs) Wow. Well, I think, yeah. Do you feel like you've said your piece? Do you feel like you're clear? Yeah, yeah. I think think that'll do for now. (laughs) See, these are the dramas in our life right now. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, (laughs) this week, it's been about a month since we've gone back from our ayahuasca retreat. And as number three in our Exploring Ayahuasca series, we thought it'd be interesting to kind of ask the question, okay, month later, What's changed? Mm. Has anything improved? Like, is there anything measurable or tangible or anything that we notice? How has our life changed from doing this? Yeah. So that's the approach we're going to take today. Yeah. And it actually was really, uh, I've experienced a ton of change myself, but with you, I felt things, but I was also, we don't talk about it very often about what's been your experience since getting back. And so it's been a really interesting conversation to have and kind of prepare for this podcast and recognize, wow, yeah, a lot has changed, like uh, in a positive way. And yeah, I I feel like I kind of want to start and just, uh, and just share some of my, at least maybe the biggest one. It's interesting to notice that everything that has changed is, is linked to a particular moment in the ceremonies, in one of the ceremonies. And uh, so I'm going to kind of tie it back to that. But I think for me, the biggest thing, the thing that stands out the most a month later, the thing that I remember the most vividly from my experience in in ayahuasca is on the third night, uh, she she kind of kicks my ass. <laughs> I, I I think I, I got a little cocky or something, and so she put me in my place. Like like she's, we, we both had some ass kickings yes, on that retreat. Yeah. So <laughs> that night was just ass kicking of my life, but it was also it felt like very loving, like very like a mother helping me find my place again. So it was tough, but it wasn't violent or anything. But there's there's something that happened that night. Which is, I got, I got a really clear message that I feel has healed a lot 
and in in a lot of depth some of the scarcity mindset that I was carrying around sometimes unknowingly this ceremony I came into it with the idea that I would my intention was show me my future and and like show me what's gonna unfold which I think is part of the reason I got my ass kicked because it's like oh man you don't you don't get to ask that like you uh no you get to live it and uh, you don't get to know the end before you've lived it and and what's interesting is that it really felt super early in the ceremony that ayahuasca caught on to what was really behind that intention which is a deep need for reassurance and and uh, and even deeper than that a, a scarcity mindset like no other like the idea when I went into this was I want these things to happen but I'm terrified that they're not going to happen so I'm going to ask to see my future to get confirmation that they are going to happen so it was kind of a control thing yeah it was actually a control thing and uh which not a good thing to do with ayahuasca you do not want to ayahuasca doesn't like to be controlled no she's uh she's a wild woman she's a wild spirit and so she kicked my ass and and after having a good ass kicking, I finally got the message that she said, which was, and at this point, it really felt like the voice was embodying the universe, like the, a higher force than than just ayahuasca. And this this voice was saying, I always provide. I always provide. And like, it felt like she was slapping me across the face and telling me that. And at some point I writ- I wrote it down like a, like a maniac. I always provide. And that was probably one of the biggest insights that I got. It was this deep, deep understanding that, oh my God, I've always gotten everything that I needed and exactly what I needed every time, every moment of my life. So how does that translate into a post-ayahuasca world? Yeah, so in the post-ayahuasca world, that translates into a huge sense of relaxation. And there is uh, just recognizing just how much I was striving to get somewhere before. And and underneath that is a not wanting to be where you are. Yes, yes. And thinking that where I'm at is not good enough, basically, because mm-hmm. I, that was there was always the, oh, well... I need to be in that point in my life and make that much money and have that much stability and have that kind of house and all these things. And it creeps up on you. You think that you're in the moment and you're present and mindful and you're not. You're actually just constantly thinking about where you could be. Yeah. And and so that is that is something that has really, really transformed my life. I feel I feel extremely grounded since we got back. And I think it's so scarcity for you, like you and I both deal with scarcity issues, but for me, it tends to come up around money. Mm. Like money is like where I like to play the scarcity game. Yeah. For you, it comes around time. Oh, so much. A lot. So much. Yeah. And I've noticed a major shift since you getting back of you've been so much more relaxed. And actually, it's funny because I would say that you've kind of been struggling with time or scheduling your time as an entrepreneur, as someone, yeah. uh, like in your work life and all these things. There's never enough time. Yeah. And since you've gotten back, it's been a radical shift where all of a sudden you have tons of time. Like, it's hard to really explain it except yeah. for that you have more time. You yeah. you take, a, you, you don't work as much. You, you have more space open. Yeah. And it's kind of an amazing shift. And it's one you've been you've been struggling with for quite a while. Yeah. And it's and honestly, it's at the root of a lot of my uh, my like kind of moods and depressed states, because there's always this sense, this nagging sense that there's not enough time and that I never get everything done. And I'm always chasing after things. And this chase feels like it's I've I feel like I've stopped this game almost or it's the best way I can describe obviously sometimes it creeps up but it's really obvious when it does creep up and I'm able to like bring myself back to center but there's really this this sense that I've kind of laid down my arms you know like ah there's nowhere to go you know and what's kind of interesting is that there's really literally nowhere to go right now with with the current situation. We're in Guatemala f- now, and, and it seems like we're going to be here for a little bit. Uh, we, we have no idea. It's pretty fuzzy at this point. But there is a really deep sense of there's nowhere to go because 
And then there's also an incredible amount of gratitude. And that's a practice that I've been doing since coming back because I could sense that this is something that could easily be forgotten. And so I've been gratitude journaling every day, every single day since we got back, either twice a day or once a day before I go to bed. And just, uh, yeah, just reminding in the beginning, it was more like reminding myself of all the things that I have, you know, like all the money that I do have and, and, and all the, instead of thinking of all the money that I don't have, you know, like what a big shift in perspective and all the food that we have and the fact that we have a house and a roof over our head and that we're safe and, you know, all these little things and, and appreciating the fact that I have clean water to drink and all these things really super grounding practice. Did you find also that you actually cut some tangible things out since you got back? Like, has there actually been some things you've stopped doing? Or has it been mainly just a mindset shift from feeling like you didn't have enough time trying to create more time and like wasting a lot of time and spending a lot of time in that want of time? Clearly, that's a part of it. But have you also made some tangible decisions with with what you're doing since you got back i the first week i did the first week i've really done the bare minimum and i think that's kind of where i'm at right now it's uh i know what would be a week if i do everything that i would want to do ideally but i also know what it would be like if i do the minimum like what's the minimum that i need to do to get the week done in a way where it's good and I've done my work and I've moved things forward. And actually, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't removed that much. That's what is really interesting is like my days are so much slower. I have so much more time. And I think, as you said, it's because there's like a lot less time spent lost in this there is not enough time because man, what a time consuming place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a, paradoxical truth that when we're able to slow down and relax like that we have more energy and things actually get done faster yes that's true too that's true too ayahuasca definitely has this kind of reset button where it seems to reset patterns Mm. that we get in like the one you're talking about and i can kind of relate this i think for me there was definitely a slowing down Mm. um, that came from ayahuasca And it's such a grounding presence. I did come out of the ayahuasca retreat also feeling like, okay, I'm here now. And less of a need to get somewhere in the future, Mm -hmm. more like bringing my attention to where I am. I think something I realized that I can definitely tell has been different from before and from after is like during the retreat, I realized how much stress I had brought into the retreat unconsciously how much unconscious stress I was carrying. And that was a pretty big realization. Just, it it was like, whoa, I did not realize I had all that. Mm. And I was able, it felt like I was able to let go of some of that. And I feel a bit lighter on the other side. I don't feel like I'm carrying. And, you know, some of that stress, I think, had to do with things that you and I were dealing with in our relationship. And so actually, you've had such a major improvement on the other side with, like, some of the struggles you were having. That has definitely helped a lot for me. Yeah, you you said that, like, a couple days after we came back. And you said, like, I can feel your energy is so much calmer and it's making me more calm, too. Yeah, you're in less conflict. Uh, yes. with yourself and there's another aspect of this I'll touch on in a minute that, I, that that's related to that but I also realized how much stress I was carrying from the pandemic mm. and like the shifting changes in our business landscape and, and everything and it was carrying a fair amount and I came out of that feeling like I had released some of that mm. right? and I at least been aware of, of what I was struggling with. And that had a slowing down effect too. I didn't feel like I had to run from it quite as much. Mm. And another realization was I had this experience, I think it was on the second night of ayahuasca, which was really profound, where I was lying down and and everyone would have would come up to the middle of the room to receive a ventiato, which is kind of, which is like a, a song from the shamans at the end of the night before the night ends. And I was lying down with my head facing the center of this room. And at this point, candles had been turned on, so we're not no longer in the dark. And I would be looking kind of at the ceiling in a corner, and from where, and in my spot, I could see people's shadows mm. as they sat down 
in the middle of the room. I, I could see them on the ceiling. Yeah. They were projected on the ceiling. And you sat down and I had the sense that I was seeing your shadow, not not just the literal one, but this idea of like, of kind of the dark side of us that we repress or that is unconscious. It's, it has a lot of aspects of, that are basically not included on in our ego personality. It's kind of like everything else. That, mm-hmm. that, and, and I had this sense that I was seeing your shadow and I saw this little girl go up to the, to the Mesa, uh, this little girl who wanted to kind of fit in and was insecure and unsure of herself and like a little nervous and, and wanted to impress and was like kind of self-conscious of her looks and things like that. I saw that little girl in you. And it was really kind of moving. It was a very emotional moment for me. And at one point, the shadow of that that girl turned to me and looked at me and said, basically, I love you too. And I had an epiphany around this that I didn't feel loved by your shadow side or I felt threatened by your shadow side. And that in our relationship, when it comes out, I'm often trying to fight it. Mm. And hearing that from, from your shadow, it's hard to say other than like it, it was like moved me to my core. I was in tears and just like a deep realization that I had been fighting something in you and that I hadn't felt loved by this part of you and that it couldn't love me. It couldn't love me the way you do. It was Mm -hmm. different, but it did love me all the same. That was major. And I feel like one of the kind of more practical realizations of that was that a lot of times I was absorbing your energy or kind of boxing with your shadow or trying to fix it. Or trying, or I felt threatened by it, and I was trying to fix it, yeah. or fix you, or change your energy, and I was kind of taking that on. There wasn't appropriate boundary mm-hmm. between your emotions and what you're feeling and me, yeah. um, and and I was trying to alter that or change that, and that I had been spending a lot of my energy trying to do that, and I think that's where a lot of my stress when I showed up on the retreat had come from a lot of it was because you were having some conflicts particularly around like time management and these mm-hmm. kind of things and I was getting like overly involved in them and trying to solve them for you yeah instead of instead of be more of a witness and, and a partner I didn't have a healthy detachment from it and I think what I've noticed since I've got back which I still think you know time will tell because we've been in a better space, particularly you've been in a really good space since we've got back. Like it's kind of been day and night for yeah. you since we got back. Um, you've been in a real Zen kind of state and uh, that's been great. Um, so things have been a little easier, but I have noticed that I'm less likely to kind of try to change you or try to try to battle those aspects of you when they show up. Yeah. Um, I have a bit more detachment. And uh, I think that's given me a bit more equanimity, a bit more energy, and just kind of realizing what's mine and what's not. And and I think also that's been good for you because uh, so it doesn't feel good when people try to change you. Yeah, and, and honest, honestly, I remember kind of naming this particular pattern after the first nights because uh, like in during the first night after they lit the candles and we kind of reconnected, but we were still deeply in the medicine. It was so obvious that you were trying to take my energy and that on top of that, it was making you miserable that, you know, like that your energy, your kind of like vitality went down when you were trying to do that. It's like, how can you be yourself, fully yourself if you're trying to take on my energy at all times? And, and, and I felt like I remember there was some sadness when I was witnessing you do that and feeling like, oh man, he's not being him his full self that I would love to see and I would love to spend time with because he's spending his time trying to fix my energy or take it in or take it on because he's that like, I don't know, that the strong man who's supposed to make me happy or whatever, all the crap that we hear in, in, in the our... Hero. The hero. Yeah, the hero. And so there was that part of me that was sad. And then also the bigger thing that was coming up was anger. It's like, 
this is fucking mine, you know, like, don't try to take my shit on, like, this is mine, and, and it really, it's not like, oh, it doesn't feel, be- it doesn't feel good because you're trying to fix me, it goes beyond that, it's like, you're trying to take part of who I am, and, and th- that's not okay, and so, obviously, this wasn't spoken, we were, we were still in the temple, and, and, and I was just witnessing and observing all this while being in the medicine, and then I, I later to that night, before we went to bed, I mentioned, you know, after showers, you feel a little bit more present in the real world. And and I was telling you that I noticed that. And what's really interesting is that the following night, when we found ourselves at that same time of the night where we went down, had a shower, and then we were talking and debriefing the night, that was gone. I could not feel that anymore. I could, you were like you and I was me and there was no trying to control my energy or take it on and I remember it felt so great I was so happy and now that you're sharing this shadow story which you shared a little bit but I didn't realize the extent that it had the the, the extent of the impact that it had for you I understand why it was gone after that second night because it was like I saw something that I had been fighting unconsciously for years yeah and realized I didn't have to fight it. And beyond that, realized that it loved me too yeah. in its own way. And it just needed to to be itself. Yeah. And I actually think, like, maybe it came through some of my own experiences, but I don't really have a, a clear memory. Or maybe it came from you changing your attitude. But there is a really deep sense for me since I got back that I don't have to fight my shadow. And I don't have to try to fix it and I don't have to try to change it because it's like chasing a goose or, or, you know, or like, or the whack-a-mole thing. It's like, I'm always going to try to chase it when that's just part of the human experience to have a shadow side. And I think this is related to your, your kind of stance against scarcity since you've gone back or how things have changed. And we won't go too deep into this, but for those of you that know, we have a penchant for typology. Yes. And time management is kind of a characteristic of extroverted thinking. Mm-hmm. And in your functional stack as an INFP, extroverted thinking is in the inferior. Yeah. So a big problem that INFP types struggle with is time management. Yeah. And so this inferior function is very, very correlated, related with the shadow. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see that we were both doing some shadow work yeah. and they, they seem to be related yeah. uh, in, in this area. Totally. Totally. And I think there's this 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 really deep experiential understanding that to be a whole human, to be a, a healthy human, you have a shadow side and like trying to fight it. Even it's like it's one thing to know it with the mind because I knew it. But it's another thing to kind of see like, oh, there's actually absolutely no way to fix that. There's there's no way to fix that. That is part of, of who I am. It's like trying to remove oxygen from water or something. Which is why it drives me crazy when I get emails from people and their signature is love and light. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like, you don't even know about your shadow side. Uh, Come on, it's yeah. an important part of you and you're just, you're just ignoring it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it, yeah, and and I think maybe this this leads me to another big big realization that I had that's really played into how just how grounded and centered and 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 good I feel right now uh, since we came back is I spent time ayahuasca takes you to a world to a realm that is um, I'm sure looks different for everyone, but for me it was just clearly a place that I had been before and kind of almost the place where we all come from and we're all going back to, you know, this like this bigger spirit realm. And in the span of two nights in the same space, I met our son and and spent time with this little baby boy who grew into a toddler and it was obvious it was a spirit he was he was like blue and and he looked like a human but he was all blue and it was like he was here we were talking i was interacting with him and then the second night having the similar experience with my great grandmother that i've never met and she died long before i was born and we were in that same state of relating and connecting and talking and exchanging like almost information and going there 
really reminded me, and it's this, this is co- more concepts that I've been introduced in a book called Spirit Babies, uh, which I devoured in like a couple of, of days, I think. Um, and this idea that we all choose to incarnate and, or at least during this ayahuasca experience, it became really clear in the, in the following days, in the following weeks that, oh, I have chosen to incarnate in this human experience. And we all do. It's like, I could have chosen to stay there. Some spirits stay there and never incarnate as, as humans. Some spirits never do that. Some spirits have done that and now they're, they're still there and they're just staying there and they're not meant to incarnate again. But it's like this idea that I chose at some point, there was a decision that was made that I chose to incarnate and, and this really fully understanding that creates a, has created a sense that I'm no longer at the effect of life, which is something I have, I've felt my whole life. Like, Oh man, everything's hard. Everything's difficult. Why am I here? I don't really want to be here. Maybe not as obviously stated, but that was part of my conscious, you know, mind this realization that oh no I choose to come here and have a human experience and that part of the human experience is to have a shadow to experience anger sadness frustration fear joy and and creativity and that's like trying to get only to this lightness of of like you were when you were a spirit makes no sense because that's not what we're here to do and so this really profound realization that I can kind of come back to every so often when I have something that happens that is really kind of mundanely human like having to exchange emails with with a client and not really knowing how to approach them and feeling a little lost and feeling like I'm not doing a good job and I was trying I was starting to spiral into this oh man so hard so difficult and then I remembered is there a more human experience than uh exchanging emails with a client and feeling confused if things are going to pan out the way I want or not. Like that's so, that's, that's like, that's what my spirit wanted when it decided to incarnate, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that's big thing for me. Yeah. And I think what I've noticed, you know, around that kind of realization or insight for you or story or whatever you want to call it is that there seems to be a sense of peace that comes with that. And then also a sense of patience Mm. and a sense of meaning. Yes. Right. Like, and I think these are qualities in a more general sense that I've also experienced from pretty much all my ayahuasca ceremonies is that I come out of it with some sort of like something meaningful to me uh, that makes life more meaningful mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And I tend to have more patience and, and peace and appreciation for what, like, I think sometimes before. I would consider the mundane aspects of life. Mm-hmm. You know, I stop like skipping over it and yeah. keep looking for the next thing and and start to really like revel in what's right here. And I think on its own, those are uh, qualities worth worth exploring ayahuasca for is because that seems to be a general kind of result. Yeah. I would say maybe not all the time, but it it seems it seems to have been for you and for me. Yeah, I had I actually have a really fond memory. I think it was the first night we went down, took a shower at the end of the ceremony, came out of the shower. It was cold. You know, you could, I mean, you come out of the shower and you're kind of not completely dry and and in the air outside, it's nighttime. It wasn't super warm. I put on my pants, my sweatpants, and it I just have this super vivid memory of how incredibly grateful I was and amazed I was at pants, clothes. Oh my God. I was cold and now I'm not. I was reveling in that experience. And it's, if you really think about it, that's accessible even when you're not on ayahuasca, you know, isn't that amazing? You're cold and then you're not, but we kind of, we move (laughs) through that, you know, whatever. I mean, I have clothes. Yeah. Everyone, you know, but it it was really profound. (laughs) There's another aspect of ayahuasca in general that I found myself really thinking about this time, which is this idea, and this kind of goes back, I think our shamans kind of mentioned that it's a Native American idea. This idea of getting sick versus getting well. Mm-hmm. And and this goes with purging, which is a large part of ayahuasca and is 
often a very difficult part for me. Yeah, and that in our cultures we tend to call getting sick, but actually, yeah, but in, in, in more traditional in a, cultures, yeah, it's, it's in a healing well. environment, it's actually considered getting well. Yeah. And if you think about it, that's actually more accurate of what's happening okay. when you're purging. You are getting rid of things. And you are getting well. And we tend to say it's getting sick, but it's really the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's actually getting well. And so we have this unhealthy perspective on purging and on purging in a lot of different ways. I mean, purging, it could be like actually throwing up, vomiting, could be diarrhea. It could be like more mental thoughts or emotions or whatever it is. This idea of purging things out of us, which is a very natural an extraordinarily important function of our body. And in the West, we just, we really don't appreciate it. In fact, we try to avoid it at all costs Mm -hmm. and we associate it with being ill rather than getting well. And I have to wonder if that isn't half the reason we're so ill over there is that we're not able to purge anything. And it's interesting to work with ayahuasca because it it is a medicine that really invites you to purge and if you spend much time with it like i've purged on most of my i think i've purged on almost every ceremony i've had and for me it's really hard i have a, i don't throw up in my normal life very often yeah or, or almost at all and so it's not something i'm very comfortable with and it's kind of scary you kind of have to because you have to kind of like relax surrender and let your body do what it wants to do and learn how to stop pushing it back down yeah when it needs to come up. Yeah. And if when you're able to do that, it's extraordinarily healing in a way. Like you feel so much better after. And it's this idea that, you know, it goes further in the ayahuasca ceremonies. The idea is that what you're purging can be a lot of stuff that needs to come up. A major part of ayahuasca is that it helps you purge. And so the stuff we're vomiting or downward purging or whatever, all this stuff is stuff that we've been holding on to that we need to let go of. Mm -hmm. And this idea really, I was really challenged on this idea also because I had diarrhea for the day going into the last ceremony. (laughs) And then my shaman gave me a really big cup of ayahuasca and seemed to think this wasn't going to be like, you know, well, you have diarrhea, great. Like you're you're purging. And so, and I think that was part of what was so radical about it to me is the way that our shamans, 100% 100% embrace and and really believe in it's getting well, not getting sick. Yes. And so I sh- everyone I've shared with in the West about this diarrhea story, about how I had it uh, going into the ceremony and then had it through the night, you know, and I hadn't had salt for a week. So yeah. I was very, very dehydrated as well. They're like, oh, ayahuasca made you sick. Mm. And in that environment, it's the exact opposite perspective. It's, oh, ayahuasca has helped you find you know, ayahuasca is helping you purge what's there and needs to come out. And I actually had an experience on, I think it was, I can't remember. I think it was the second night. I didn't purge at all. And this was the night where ayahuasca felt like a snake in my belly. Mm. And literally like there was a snake going around in my belly and I could look down and I could see my skin moving. It was, and I was starting to take on these like snake-like qualities and stuff. And I, and it was a very soft and easy night for me. And this wasn't scary at all. This was actually wonderful, which. If you haven't listened to a couple of episodes back, our episode, episode two of this series called Working with the Medicine, you'll hear more about it. Ayahuasca was in my, in my body. And sometimes it would go all the way up to my throat. And it was in the form of a snake, but I had the sense that it was searching. It was, it was working on things and I wasn't purging for a reason because ayahuasca wanted to stay longer uh, Mm. and like work on something deeper. Mm. And so I had that feeling the whole night and it was a very soft and beautiful experience. And then after my third ceremony, actually, it's funny because my third ceremony, I, I purged really heavily in it. And then at the very end of it. The Actually, diary. yeah, he, he purged so loudly too. I remember I was getting my song, my end of the night song, and he was just in the bathroom and you could hear everything. Like, bleh, bleh. <laughs> it went on, it went on a long it was time. Great. We were all laughing, like, we know what you're doing, buddy. You're doing good work, you know, like everyone. Because I had been struggling to purge that whole night. That was actually the exact same time I was receiving the slap in the face I will always provide. <laughs> I was always provide. Oh! 
and, and there's so much resistance and there's a lot of fear that comes up and a lot of different things that comes up with the with the purge, especially for us Westerners that are not used to embracing this. And yes. something you start to admire very quickly with your shamans is that they are really open channels. And when they purge, they need to purge, they just purge. And it's yeah. a funny thing to admire, but the art of, of throwing up is really a thing on ayahuasca and you and you realize what it what it takes the openness and the amount of surrender and being in touch with your body to just let things come when they want to come that's actually really hard to do in the beginning and there's a lot of resistance to it and so that night i had walked into the bathroom and then all of a sudden had a major purge in the bathroom and it was interesting also to note that that energy wanted to come out alone and not in the shared space so that was also an interesting experience. And then at the end of that night, the diarrhea started. That's the, that's when the diarrhea started. And so the, you can almost see this, like, or at least it felt like there was kind of a sequence of events, like mm. that ayahuasca had been working on me. And, and then di- the diarrhea started. And all of this, you know, in that environment is interpreted as, ayahuasca working on you and helping you. And it's you. also like the next day when you say that, like people will tell you, man, you did really good work yesterday. Yeah. You know, yeah, like something... that's considered really good work to be able to like let go of all these things that are trying to let, to be let go yeah, of. Some things that are, you know, go back to childhood or like all yeah. sorts of really old things that yeah. are accumulating in our bodies and, and uh, energies and things. Yeah. And the shamans see them leaving you. Yeah. Which is really it's pretty creepy cool. thing to think. Like I remember, I remember Zach, the our, our shaman, and sometimes they will purge for you, which is what happened earlier in one of the ceremonies. Um, I went up to the mesa and and I couldn't purge, and the shaman purged for me, and he even took on the cough I had at the yeah. time. Like, and then he looked at me after. It was a violent, long purge. Yeah, and he looked at me. He's like. Dude, do you feel better now? Jeez, that was serious stress that you were holding on to. And it's, it's really weird. Uh, and you can see, and once you start to get in tune with things, and I had this experience the second night, you can watch some of these energies leap around the room. Okay, so just trying to bring this back, because I feel like we could yeah. go all night. What what does that mean for you since we got back? What All, all these realizations. Well, so I was really grappling you? with what seems like a really big perspective shift between what it means to get sick and what it means to get well. Mm -hmm. And getting sick is holding things in. Getting sick is repressing these things and not allowing them to come up. Mm -hmm. And it was really challenging to, to believe the getting well thing when you're struggling with diarrhea for five days straight and dehydration and all that. It was really tough. But I, I lost seven and a half pounds mm-hmm. over over that retreat. And you have to wonder, especially with, and there was stuff coming out every time I went to the toilet. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in the first day I went to the toilet 30 times. And you just have to wonder, like, where was that coming from? Mm-hmm. And how much of that had been there and how long, yeah. you know, in, in different parts of my of my intestines? Yeah. And and what if I had held on to that? I don't know. It's It's a perspective having come from the West that even feels kind of like, easy to criticize it's like as soon as i say it there's a part in my head that's like yeah well ayahuasca was got you sick you mm. dummy it's like because you drank the ayahuasca that you got sick yeah. right and that's like and and but then there's there there's this deeper part or this other part that's like oh ayahuasca was helping you let go of this stuff and it's actually what was healing you and you needed to get rid of this stuff and it would have been a lot worse if it stayed in and these are like really really different perspectives on life yeah and and i i'm just very aware that my western perspective is the first one that it's getting ill and there's this perspective that's pretty new for me seems a lot more empowering and it, uh, in my opinion it respects the uh the wisdom and the intelligence of the body way more it expects yeah it, it respects the the functions of the body because it, it, uh, the best example i can come up with it's like in the most tangible you eat something at a restaurant that is past the date you should have eaten it and then you get food poisoning and then people like people consider that being sick 
I would argue that this is a great function of the body. You eat something that, that would, that would be like dangerous to your system and your body evacuates it as fast as it came in. Now, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, like, but what the, I think, yeah, but the problem with that particular example is that, yeah, I could use that too, but then I, then, then it's, the next jump is to say, well, ayahuasca was that thing that you ate. Oh, well, that's ne- that's absolutely not where I'm going with this. But, but I think that's some of the trap of that particular... Yeah, well, I think this is a good place to insert that I don't... I was raised in a household that holds the belief that, that it's more getting well than getting sick and that the body is really wise. And so... For me, this belief was just kind of almost reaffirmed in a deeper way during this retreat. But this isn't new for me. And so I don't have to grapple with it quite as much. Because I didn't realize I had to grapple with it so yeah, much. Yeah. And it really was this like really intense bout of, of purging and, and realizing my own reluctance to purge and how much if I can avoid it, I will try to avoid it. And that's been a characteristic of my life. And just realizing the deep-seated belief behind that and starting to like loosen that I think and work on it and I think that comes also hand in hand with the respect for the wisdom of the body and what the body's doing and I think you know we have to also think energetically here because it's not only that like you know poisonous food goes into us poisonous energies go into us and things that are very deep like right trauma beliefs systems all sorts of energies that we've accumulated over over the course of our life this is part of what ayahuasca is helping us purge, right? Like there are physical elements and then there are energetical and spiritual elements and they're all kind of attached. I I remember one person sharing in one of the integration circles uh, about a sexual trauma and she wanted to let it go. And so part of her process for purging it was to share it for the first time. Really, really powerful moment. Yeah. And then the next night, she had some pretty violent purging that was clearly associated with that trauma. Mm. Uh, She had to purge it physically as well. And, and God, who knows if, you know, that might be an ongoing process. Um, But this kind of perspective that I'm, I keep circling around is just really, really foreign, I think in, in the U S or in my upbringing. And I can see how not having it leads to a lot of illness. And one thing that I have seen in you since we got back, one very major difference that is subtle but major and definitely more in your energetical being than your physical being is there is a lot less tension. There's a lot less conflict in, in your body. It, it, it felt like now that I'm seeing how you're doing now, I realize just how much you're al- you were always in conflict with your body before. Like there's always something wrong. There's always something that needs to be fixed. And, and there's like a, even when you don't say it, there's just an attitude of how you carry your body that felt before that there is always, it's an enemy. The body is the enemy and it's weak and it's going to attack you and it gets sick and it, nah. but now on the other end, on the other side, it's a very different attitude that I'm sensing yeah, from there, you. There's a respect for the body. And it's funny. I'm going to link this back to typology again, because my inferior function in my functional stack is extroverted sensing. Yeah. And if you get into typology and and you look into that inferior function, it often comes as a disconnect from your body yeah, or yeah. as a fear of your of your of your body yeah. and and a lack of awareness. Yeah. And one of the things that ayahuasca really did was well, I think what it does for a lot of people is it really brings you into the body. It's actually hard to say what's ayahuasca and what's the body, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Because it really brings you awareness of, of things that might be going on all the time, but yes. you see it in a very different way. And so I kind of associate ayahuasca and, and my own b- wisdom of the body as almost the same thing. Yeah, it yeah, seems yeah. to like it bring you back to that and it brings you deeper into it. And yeah, I would say... That that was a big and so some of my own kind of shadow work that was was done on this is that I came out of it with more of a respect for the body. And I think one aspect of that is surrender. Mm. And it goes to the purging. You have to surrender to purging. I mean, ayahuasca just challenges you to surrender in so many different ways. And it's funny because then just when you think you got it, like 
you you realize there's a different form of surrender. Like maybe the next night it's easy. And it actually turns out that you have to surrender into it being easy Mm -hmm. or surrender into the fact that you don't need to surrender or surrender into the frustration that you can't surrender. There's all sorts of like, you just find over and over how I'm not surrendering, how I'm trying to control the experience. And, you know, if we think about our body as a largely unconscious entity, right? Like we have this like kind of, we have this consciousness, but for the most part, we are not conscious of what's going on in our body. Our heart beats, our lungs expand and, and, and everything, whether we're paying attention to it or not, so many parts of our, our body is regulating so many things. There's so much unconscious wisdom there. And there's this aspect of us that's, that's conscious. And, and a lot of times what is happening and what I think like a little bit of what was kind of righted or straightened out a little bit was like the way that my consciousness was in conflict with the unconscious aspects of my body. Mm. And kind of, I guess, learning how to surrender into, because if you're going to listen to your body, it's, I, I feel like I also have to kind of surrender to what my body's telling me that I may consciously not want to hear mm. or like. And so I think on the other side of this retreat, it's been a little bit more respect for my body, a little bit more compassion for it and listening to it more and realizing it has a lot of valuable things to say and that I shouldn't um, be so quick to ignore it or, or to... Yeah, to, yeah, basically to ignore it. So another big thing that definitely has changed or transformed since we got back has to do with our sexual relationship. And I think if you're new to this space or if you don't know, I was sexually abused as a child when I was six and I only remembered three years ago. So that's kind of to give some context I've done a lot of work on this through many forms of therapy and, and all that. And uh, and I want to say that maybe for the last six months uh, prior to the retreat, I was experiencing a lot of physical blockages, which wasn't necessarily the case before. I feel like before it was more like psychological and and for the last six months, it was very physical that I just I there was a lot of uh, rage and anger and, and terror and panic. And so it was very hard to connect physically with you because or with even with myself. And I'm not just talking about, you know, sex. I'm talking in general, a general disconnection from my body, period. And so that was. And all, and more, more importantly, a very distinct feeling of absolute numbness and closeness around my pelvic area, my pelvic bowl and everything in it and around it. I was a, aware of this going into the ayahuasca retreat, and I was definitely uh, terrified. The first couple of nights, I remember telling the uh, woman, the shaman, who's a woman, like, hey, if I ask for help, I want you to come. If a male comes, I think I'm going to flip my shit. And I was right to do this because even when she came, I was flipping out big time. Uh, the second night she came over and I was stuck in this like panic, but I didn't even realize I was stuck in a panic. I was so deep in the medicine. I was, and she came over and she, she said, JR. And she, I think she just wanted to warn me that she was here and that she was going to start singing and doing things and that her energy was in my space. And I didn't even feel her coming, which usually I was able to. I freaked out. I jumped up and I was like, <gasps> and I realized when when this happened, how terrified I had been up until that point in the ceremony. And then I just, I, I was crying profusely and, and just purging so much emotional stuff. And she was singing to me and it was like the most uh, intense thing probably. And I could tell that a lot of healing was happening then. And that night, I had a lot of visions of like a frozen pelvic bowl. Not really, actually, it was like the the body of a woman, but only from like the waist to the thighs. So I could see all that area of the body. It was just like a frozen block. And I was I was cold as fuck. I remember I had to put on, I had two pairs of pants, three like sweaters, a hot water bottle. I was so cold. And throughout the nights, as things started to progress, 
it was like thawing in front of me and I was seeing like drips coming from it. And it was a, it was a blissful night to say the least. And there was a lot that went on and it, it really didn't feel like I had only to do with my own personal sexual trauma. It felt very related to the collective and healing the feminine energy in the collective. It was a really powerful night and just talking about it, I can feel my heart racing. And so so there's that, and, and so that's one piece I wanted to mention. And then there's also another piece, which I, did, I didn't I did do a lot of physical purging myself. There wasn't a lot of vomiting. I had a couple of times there, diarrhea, maybe one real vomiting, uh, but not, not a lot. And But I purged a lot emotionally. I had a lot of thoughts and emotions came, come up and just letting them happen. And so it was pretty surprising as some of the things that that changed since we caught, since we got back, just how much it feels like I've let go of a lot of like physical shit. It's like ayahuasca was working on me and cleansing me, but I wasn't even really aware she was. And the place I feel it the most is in my pelvic bowl. And it's, uh, it's so cool. It's really, it feels like I feel a lot more connected to it. And so that brings me to this idea that our sexual relationship has changed drastically almost from like before and after the ceremony. And it's not an ass, it's not because of conscious effort. Yes. It's something else. It's like energies have shifted. And yes. that's been like really wonderful yeah. and, and really kind of rejuvenating. To be able to connect because there was a real sense of disconnection on that. Yeah, point. or it would take a lot of effort to yes. connect. Yes. And at this point, there's, been a sense of effortlessness or yes. more spontaneity and yeah. that that's been I think really amazing for both of us and and I have a sense that there's another aspect more on my side that was also contributed to this happening after which is that I was on dieta mm. and so there's a couple aspects of this but dieta really feels like it really cleans you out as well mm -hmm. and also we knew that for five weeks, like at least I couldn't be sexual at all. There yes. was no masturbation, no sex, no sex of any kind mm -hmm. while I'm on dieta for five weeks. And so there was this kind of grace period uh, that that we knew there was the space. Yes. And uh, I think those the combination of having that space and also um, not only ayahuasca working on me and cleaning me out, which it certainly did. I also let go of a lot of shit, um, <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> but also the dieta working on me mm -hmm. and, and healing me as well, because um, I think that was a big aspect of it as well. That's one of the things is like, you know, you look at afterwards and there's a lot of things that have happened. There seems to be, you know, renewed sense of meaning, uh, increased sense of peace, increased, yeah. increased sense of patience, uh, more of like kind of tapping into our our kind of own wisdom mm -hmm. in our in our bodies and a respect for our bodies, of listening to our bodies, of slowing down, yeah. uh, being able to reconnect with each other, kind of uh, feeling lighter, mm -hmm. uh, feeling more flexible. I feel like I've been able to deal with things yeah. and be be more responsive instead of reactive. Since letting go of some things. I think another big big element that plays into this that I just wanted to mention is what you said earlier about the fighting with my shadow is it, it became really clear to me just really a couple of weeks ago how much that was probably uh, preventing this sense of physical connection and sexual connection because there was this, I think now that, I, that you've said this and I've had experiences to confirm that I think I was... Um, I sensed that there was only parts of me that I could bring to the relationship. And if you want to create this connection with someone, just leave out parts of them and you're going to be sure to create, you know, like, or fight parts of them or, or not let some of the, those parts in. It's, it's like we can't exist in parts, right? We have to be whole. But what's difficult about this is you don't realize you're doing it, right? Yeah, like all yeah. this is happening on like yeah, unconscious yeah, yeah. levels. Totally. And what ayahuasca helps, I think, do the way I'd interpret it is it helps bring it up. Yes. Uh, for you to let go of. Yeah, yeah. Or and, and part of letting go of it, I think, is also becoming conscious of it sometimes. Not always. True. I think there's a lot of stuff we're letting go of in an ayahuasca ceremony that 
we don't need to be aware of. And I also think there's a lot of things that we bring up to consciousness and that get stuck there mm. and that you don't mm. let go of just because you're conscious of yeah. it. Ther- yeah. Like talk therapy is great. Uh, but it, it's kind of like boiling a pot of water and the steam that's coming off. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels yes. like on ayahuasca. Yes. It's like you're being boiled. Yes. And, uh, and there's a lot of stuff evaporating that yeah. leaving your body, all sorts of stuff. And yeah, and so that also gets to the sense of like, you have to do your work and I have to do my work mm-hmm. and they're interconnected and you, and it's really amazing to realize how much, how interconnected we are, right? Mm-hmm. Like how different attitudes or different unconscious behaviors that I have are playing into it, how complicated it is yes. and how kind of complex it is and, and how it really takes both of us working on our own stuff to solve a problem that, you know, in a less enlightened state, I could say, hey, that's your shit. It, it definitely felt like that. That's actually one message that I want to share for anyone who's struggling with, with like sexual trauma and trying to come back from that and figure out how they want to show up in their sexual relationships is it sometimes it can feel like it's all on you. And actually, it never really fully is. There's always other stuff going on. It's a shared journey and it's a shared process and we can only work on what we can work on. But sometimes there's, yeah, sometimes there are things that are not ours. Yeah. And looking back on it, I can see how different things we both worked on and different energies that yes. were there have played into the situation and that, that we were in yeah. and the new situation we're in now. And there's an aspect of like reflecting on an ayahuasca ceremony. I think that's worth saying is that there's not these direct cause and effect relationships. Like everything we're talking about is like these things happened and then this changed, but I can't like link and say it's because of that. It's, but there does, it does all feel very related, very interconnected. There's a lot of kind of synchronistic connections in there. I think it's easier to think about as kind of an emergent properties. It's Mm -hmm. like you go, you do this work. It's, it's kind of messy. It's very interconnected. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then you get back and certain changes emerge from that kind of interweaving of work you do. But then the things that have emerged, you know, like one of the properties of an emergent um, phenomenon is that you can't really trace it back because it's from a complex interweaving of things. So you can't really say like, oh, well, that's because of this. It's yeah. more like, well, I know that all that played a role in it emerging and it may not have, or it might've had a different character if some of those things weren't there. And that's really how it feels when I kind of reflect on what's changed, which is honestly a lot. Mm-hmm. I think just the quality of life since we've been back has been so a lot much. better. And uh, I think we've been more effective like in our work or I think we've been able to connect more in our relationship. I think we've just been able to have more presence in the day-to-day moments of our lives. I just feel extremely like I think the the bigger thing that is that is up for me is is this deep sense of gratitude most of the time. Most of the moments of my day I just I find gratitude without sometimes without even looking for it and that is a huge difference from what I felt before which was at the effect of every single thing and not really wanting to be there. The last thing I want to say before we wrap up though is these are, and it goes without saying, but it goes with saying that these are our experiences. And I think I went into this retreat having ideas of what I wanted to work on and maybe had expectations and uh, expectations get crushed really fast in, in an ayahuasca ceremony. And the first night she really like took all of them and threw them away and showed me that this is a lifetime's work and it's not just not just in the context of ayahuasca that this is like there is no fixing the human condition that is not that death is a good way to fix the human condition other other than that we are living our lives and we're going to experience things that have to be felt and lived and that are not going to be pleasant all the time but this idea that you can kind of go and it's like the cure for all and then, oh, I was sexually abused and now I'm like super liberated. That's not true. That's not how it works. And that not even for me. I'm just saying like this is our experience and it's ever shifting and ever unfolding. And this is not to say we've reached a state on a certain ladder of enlightenment. That's bullshit. And I think 
one thing I've realized from this whole thing is how much ayahuasca can be an ally and a tool in in that ongoing work that we're all kind of doing. Mm -hmm. It has an uncanny ability to get right to the quick of things and know exactly what needs to be worked on. And a lot of times, like you said, it's very counter to what you expect or think. Um, But ayahuasca has a wisdom of its own. And it seems to really, for me, ayahuasca seems to really connect me with my own wisdom, like with the own with the knowledge I already have. Mm-hmm. It seems to be kind of a connecting agent in that way. And uh, I find it a really valuable tool. And I, I, uh, I hope to keep working with the medicine. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. It's a joy to share these stories. We have heard from many people that they want more ayahuasca plant medicine stories so uh we got you we got you covered (laughs) (laughs) and if you enjoyed this episode you probably will very much enjoy uh what we're going to be sharing on our patreon account with this episode yeah we're going to be sharing links to recordings of the last night the last night's ayahuasca ceremony so you'll hear it all the purging you'll hear the icaros and the songs and the music if you're curious what it's like, yeah, this will be really interesting. It's, it's a five and a half hour uh, recording, and there is a bit of an intro by the shaman. And I would suggest you take his advice seriously and not listen to this while you're driving heavy machinery yeah. or a car or, yeah. or doing anything for that matter. Probably just lie in bed. And, and probably to not it. right before dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and along with this, we're also going to share a recording of... The second night's integration circle, which which happens the next morning. Yes. So you'll hear. It's uh, actually the one where Alistair shares about the shadow. Of yeah. So if that was interesting, yeah. uh, you can go listen to that. And uh, the integration circles are a really important part of it, and it's where we kind of Super share. Powerful. It's you know the, the experience is still really raw. We're still kind of under the medicine to some extent. Totally. And it took a week after the retreat to not be To stop having ayahuasca dreams. Oh my gosh. Medicine is strong. It is. Like the energy stays with you for a long time. But if you want to, I think listening to Integration Circle is also useful because it helps you understand the healing environment and modality that this is. It's like, this is a really important part of it. And uh, I think it gives you a good idea of the spirit that this is done with. Yeah. So if you're interested, you can find this at patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple, as always, available at the $3 level. Yeah, yeah. And And on top of that, you're supporting the podcast and you're getting really cool, exclusive content that will keep making that come your way. Sounds like a deal of me to Roxanne. Yeah, it is a deal, Alistair. Um, There's two other ways you can support this podcast. The first one is you can share it with a friend. Or share it on Instagram and tag us at the Far Out Couple. We so love to see your shares and we always reshare them and we're nerds about it. Yeah. And the second thing you can do is leave a review. Yes. And the last thing you can do is leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Yes. And uh, we'll read your words on a future episode. As always. Well, see you next time. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.